Well, happy Lord's Day, North Hills. Our passage this morning is Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. Daniel chapter 7, 1 through 8. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, there should be one on the back of the pew in front of you. So Daniel chapter 7, we're looking, we're looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. But let's pray together before we dive into God's Word. Lord, speak to us this morning as we have come to receive the food of Your Holy Word. Take Your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in Your likeness. Lord, cause our faith to rise and our eyes to see Your majestic love and authority. Lord, Your words never fail. And this morning and always, let the truth of Your words prevail over unbelief. Renew our minds this morning in the Gospel. Lord, You are an unchanging God. And Your Word is unchanging. And this morning, may I be hidden behind Your Word. And may Your people See Jesus. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Daniel Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon... Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up, from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. This is God's Word. And so this passage this morning, this passage we have before us, brings a transition uh, to the whole book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7 is is similar to Daniel chapter 2 regarding visions of four kingdoms. But Daniel chapter 7 
begins the primary prophetic or apocalyptic visions section of this book. It closes one section of the book and begins another. This is a a hinge or a, a swing in the book. And so Daniel chapter 7 is presenting a, a further picture of the Messiah. This is pointing to His kingdom that He establishes. But this morning, if we look at the scope of this particular vision in, the, in, in these eight verses, in this vision alone this morning, we see chaos. We see chaos. This is bad news for the world. There are four beasts and a little horn who will, who will lead astray. And throughout chapter 7, we see these worldly kingdoms that will come and go, but the Messiah comes and His kingdom is forever. This morning, there's not a, a hope specifically mentioned in these eight verses before us. We're looking at four beasts, four kingdoms of chaos in this world. But the underlying theme in the book of Daniel is that God of heaven, the God of heaven, is king of all. And this king is over the chaos. We see the consistent chaos of this world in this book, and it's also made visible to us today. Nations are seeking conflict, and we have conquest or control under the providence of God. And so, while this, this passage before us is apocalyptic in nature, one, one could define apocalyptic as visions awaiting the future, right? So, so Daniel re- receives these apocalyptic visions and it symbolizes kingdoms and their destruction. Kingdoms will rise and fall as the Lord wills. And so this, this passage, these verses before us, this is for the people of God. The book of Daniel is a pastoral book for the sheep of God, not just chapters 1 through 6, but the whole book of Daniel. These four beasts have dominion for a time. And the saints in Christ, believers, we will face persecution and evil in this world. But as we will see over the next few weeks, it is the Son of Man. It is the Son of Man that has everlasting dominion. We live in a real world. And we have a real God and a real King over it. And so as we walk through this passage, we think through it in light of the Gospel. We know that the Messiah has come. We know Jesus has come. And Jesus has made the only way for sinners to be reconciled to a holy God. Christ's death has made atonement for our sin. And if we have come in faith, believing in Jesus, Christ's righteousness is given. It is credited to our account, to our lives. And so throughout this passage, these finite kingdoms leave us longing for the infinite kingdom of our Lord. And one day, we will be with our King for all eternity. There will be no more sorrow. 
No more suffering, no more pain. Jesus gives us joy now. But one day, we will have eternal joy in Him. And so the main theme, the main point we see in this passage is that worldly kingdoms bring chaos. Worldly kingdoms bring chaos. But Christ's kingdom brings peace. Or you could also phrase it like Christ over chaos. Before us this morning, we will spend a good amount of time thinking over the chaos of these kingdoms, but with this passage in the, in the larger picture of Daniel chapter 7, it is Christ's kingdom that brings peace for the believer. Now that does not mean in the here and now that the Christian will not suffer. But when we do suffer, even if we die, we will be united with Christ in eternity. And so over the next few weeks, I know Adam and, and John will cover more of this as we continue to walk through Daniel chapter 7. But for us this morning, worldly kingdoms bring chaos. Christ's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that brings peace. And so let's walk through this passage this morning. In, in verse 1, in verse 1, Daniel saw a dream and he wrote down this dream. He had this, he had this vision in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. And at this, this point, some say Daniel would have been in his 60s. This would have been about 50 years removed from the exile of the Hebrews into Babylon. And so this vision here in Daniel chapter 7 and the vision in Daniel chapter 8 were during this Babylonian period. And unlike King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, Belshazzar did not receive this vision. Daniel was the recipient of, of this vision, and it came to him alone. And so the words vision and dream here are, are similar, and they are both referring to divine revelation. The Lord is revealing this to Daniel. And this is identifying Daniel once again as, as a prophet of the Lord. In the, in the first six chapters of Daniel, he interpreted the dreams and visions. Now Daniel is the one who has received the dream and then is able to interpret this revelation. And the beginning of this dream begins in verse 2. Daniel declared, he is, he's giving account of this vision. He says, in my vision by night, behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And so the account of the vision begins, and, and we are met, first met with this phrase, the, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Many say that the, the four winds here refer to the entire earth, from east to west to north to south. There's trouble and, and storms, not just in one area, but in all of the earth. And as we will see, these beasts conquer the previous kingdoms before it. They arise from all areas and regions and conquer. And the sea is stirred up. 
We see that the sea is stirred up here. It should be viewed as chaotic. Right? The, the winds and the, and the waves of the sea are going to and fro. It is representative of the world. Now what, what comes to mind when you think of a chaotic sea? You may think of the, the show The Deadliest Catch when these large boats go out and the, these massive waves are, are crashing against the boat. This is the way that the world is. And the sea symbolizes the chaos of the world. And the four winds describe the vast reach of this chaos. These kingdoms, these beasts, they rose and they fell. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 20 says that the wicked are like the tossing sea. For it cannot be quiet and its waters toss up mire and dirt. So the sea references a a wicked people. And in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 23, the sea is a reference to the armies of Babylon. Scripture says, They lay hold on bow and javelin. They are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like the roaring sea. They ride on horses, set in array as a man for battle against you, O daughter of Zion. So in Daniel's vision of the sea, we need to understand that this vision is pointing out the chaos that is in the world. And, and beasts, which are, which are the, the worldly kingdoms, this is, not a, this is not a pleasant sight. This is not a pleasant sight. We're not going to come away reading this, you know, thinking that this, this would be a great movie to make. We should pause and, and consider what wickedness and evil was left from the path uh, of these beasts, of these kingdoms. In verse 3, these four beasts, these four great beasts come out and they are different from one another. These beasts are, are representing four kings or kingdoms of the earth. Each beast or kingdom has its own characteristics and desires. They have their own methods in war and conquering. They have their own desires to rule over people. They're all different. But they are all chaotic. They don't bring peace. And because of the fall of Adam and Eve, because of the pursuit of sin and sin abounding in humanity, man is depraved and wicked. And so the kingdoms of this world are chaotic. Kingdoms. And kings are not looking out for the, for the care of others, but their own self-interest. The evil and wickedness of kingdoms of this world go directly back to the Garden of Eden when Satan tempted Adam and Eve and said, Did God really say? The wickedness and evil that comes from these kingdoms is grounded in the belief that they are God's. And they can do whatever they desire. And these kingdoms do not bring out what is good for humanity. They aren't sitting around having debates about what is best for people to flourish and honor a holy God. These kings and kingdoms are looking out for their own greed and gain. And even at some points, sacrificing their own people to do so. 
And so it's my conviction that these four beasts represent these four kingdoms. But we can see similarities of wicked kingdoms in Scripture and wicked kingdoms that abound today. These beasts, they bring chaos and destruction. If we read Hosea chapter 13, verses 7 and 8, Scripture says, So I am to them like a lion. Like a leopard, I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion as a wild beast would rip them open. And so the Lord warns that He would judge Israel by being to them like a lion, a leopard, a bear, and a wild beast. What is the imagery of the beast here in Daniel 7? A lion, a leopard, a bear, and a wild beast. And so we have, as we have seen with Babylon, so far as we've walked through Daniel, God has appointed the nations. He's appointed Babylon as a nation to judge His people. His people had turned away from Him and He brought judgment upon them. Now this is where it may seem easy to us to read ourselves, to read our current situations, to read the state of our own country into this text. The sign of the the covenant of the people of Israel with God was that of circumcision. And that just marked them among the nations. That didn't mean they were a part of true believing Israel. The sign of the people of God in the New Testament is the mark of the new birth. One is born again. One is born of God from above. So when we read a passage like this, Don't be tempted to read America into the text and say that America is the apple of God's eye. It is not America that overcomes the world. It is not Russia or China or whoever else. As 1 John 5, 4 says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And so God is going to do whatever He sees fit with America. Just like He raised up and made low these four kingdoms in this passage. But it is Christ's church that rests not in the hope of America. Even though we want Americans to honor the Lord. We don't rest in our jobs. We don't find hope in our our finances. The church of the living God finds its hope and rest in God Himself. We weep and we mourn when this broken and evil world shows the depths of evil with scandals and death. Even the images and stories we have heard this week of young kids being preyed upon in denominations of churches and in a school in Texas. The depths of depravity of man is present all around us. America doesn't care for its children, whether the child is in the womb or outside of it. 
But Jesus cares for His. And under the Lord's care, Christians engage faithfully in the culture. And ultimately, our rest and our hope is in the One who upholds the universe by the Word of His power. Kingdoms, kings, and denominations will come and go. But the Lord's kingdom is forever. The Lord reigns. And so this passage is for the church. As we see this today and walk through these four beasts, these four kingdoms, may we be encouraged in Christ that He is the true King. And the phonies will have their day in the king's court. And so in verse 4, we see the first beast. See the first beast here. It is viewed as a lion that had eagle's wings. And so if you ever watched the old Rudolph movies, you may think of uh, King Moonracer. And so you may wonder, why did Evan know this name? Well, I actually Googled who this was. So King Moonracer, he was the, he was the king uh, on the, the island of misfit toys. And so he looks, this toy looks like a lion with eagle's wings. But the first beast in Daniel 7 is, is not caring for an island of misfit toys. This beast has come out of the sea to conquer. And then its wings were plucked. It was lifted up from the ground and made to stand and a mind of man was given to it. So the first beast is, is symbolizing or, or representing Babylon and, and Nebuchadnezzar. In the book of Jeremiah, Nebuchadnezzar was referred to as a lion. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 7 says that a lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. Later on in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 17, it says, Israel is a hunted sheep driven away by lions. First, the king of Assyria devoured him. And now, at last, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has gnawed his bones. And so, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are, are both referred to as a lion. But throughout the Old Testament, the Babylonian army is also referred to as eagles. In Lamentations chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. In Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 3, also described this eagle that has great wings. And in Habakkuk, Chapter, chapter 1, at the end of verse 8, it says, Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. So think of how an eagle attacks. It, it comes down, swoops in. Nebuchadnezzar's style of attack was reported to be swift. But there were also points in which he could, he could sit and wait out a city. Babylon was, was swift like an eagle but smart, but wise in their attack. And because of the use of this elsewhere in the Old Testament and its timing in this, in this prophecy, it would be best to see the first beast symbolizing Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. 
even more so that Daniel goes on to say in this vision that the wings were plucked off and the lion was made to stand and given a man's mind. What occurs? Does anybody remember what happened in Daniel chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, right? He acted like an animal and then God restored his mind. Similar to what this vision says here. Then in verse 5, this second beast, second beast comes up like a bear. It is raised up with three ribs in its mouth. It is, it is told to arise and devour much flesh. It will have the appetite and hunger to conquer. And this is most likely Medo-Persia. This bear has devoured, and we're given the image of the ribs sticking out of its mouth. And it's going to devour more. And as we walk through this passage, you know, think, think about the wording that's contained in it. In verse 4, we see the wings were plucked off and, and the beast was lifted up. And in verse 5, the beast was told, arise and devour. The empires and kingdoms and nations are instruments and vessels of the Lord. The second beast, the second kingdom of Medo-Persia, is an instrument of the Lord to judge Babylon. Like the Lord used Babylon to judge Israel in the beginning of the book of Daniel. And so the bear of Medo-Persia is bringing down judgment upon Babylon under the Lord's authority. They are used by the Lord to swallow up various peoples. We see Medo-Persia is used by the Lord in other passages. In, in Isaiah chapter 13, verses 7, 17 through 19, Scripture says, Behold, I'm stirring up the Medes against them, who have no regard for silver and do, do not, and do not delight in gold. Their bows will slaughter the young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not pity children. And Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. In Jeremiah chapter 51, at the end of verse 11, Scripture says, The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes because His purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it. For that is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for His temple. And then, in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 51 in Jeremiah, it's speaking about Medo-Persia attacking Babylon. It says, Prepare the nations for war against her, the kings of the Medes with their governors and deputies, and every land un- under their dominion. The land trembles and writhes in pain for the Lord's purposes against Babylon's stand to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitants. That's the second beast, Medo-Persia. Then in verse 6, we see the third beast, which is like a leopard. But it also has four wings like a bird with four heads, and it's said that dominion was given to it. So this beast represented the kingdom to come after Medo-Persia. The wings of the bird describes the swiftness of, of the Greeks, 
This leopard-like beast with four wings represented the Greeks. These four wings symbolize the compass of north, south, east, and west. And under the Greeks' leadership, Alexander the Great, they conquered quickly. They conquered very quickly. And some would see these, these four heads here represented as the four kings prophesied in Daniel chapter 11. The early church, Father Jerome, interpreted, uh, interpreted meaning the, the breakup of the kingdom of Greece into Alexander the Great's uh, successors. And then there are others that think this reference is to just the totality of, of dominion or dominance over the world. And so, after the, the, the description of four heads, again, there is this phrase used here, dominion was given to it. Dominion was given to it. Now, if, if dominion was given, one who gives the dominion is the one who has the ultimate dominion, the ultimate control and authority. It is the Lord who gives dominion to this third beast, to the Greeks. It is the Lord who has the true dominion. Again, these empires, these kingdoms, kings, rulers, and authorities are under the authority of God who raises up and brings low according to His will. According to His judgment. And so, these worldly kingdoms are instruments and vessels of the Lord. It is His good purposes that will be brought to pass. It is His plan in this to bring about the Messiah. And the Lord of hosts is is not some puny God who constantly needs His battery charged or needs to eat or sleep or put gas in His tank to, to roam creation. This is the Maker of heaven and earth. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. They blossom and flourish as leaves on a tree. But they withered and perished. But the Lord did not change. As Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verse 17, The Lord is the King of the ages. Immortal, immortal, invisible, the only God. To Him be glory and honor forever and ever. And in verses 7 and 8, we are presented with this fourth beast. It is described as terrifying, dreadful, and strong. It had iron teeth that devoured and stamped out what remained under its feet. This beast was so unique, it wasn't even given a detailed description like a lion or bear. It is described as iron teeth that devoured and stomped things under its feet. And so this beast symbolizes Rome. Rome took up all territory. They, they crushed and they conquered. It shows the ruthlessness and the cruelty of Rome. Their willingness to get power no matter what was left in their path. Again, we continue to see the chaos of these kingdoms. And in this vision, we see a little horn that is raised among ten different horns. 
This, this little horn had eyes like a man and mouth speaking things. Three horns were uprooted and, and this happened under the providence and plan of the Lord. These horns were broken off. They symbolized defeat. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 7, the, the ram loses its horns and loses its power. But here, this, this little horn is raised up and, and speaks words against God and against His people. Some say this was Antiochus. Some say this was Julius Caesar and those that followed. But whether this little horn was Antiochus or Caesar... It was one who blasphemed against the Lord and His people. Similarly to that of Revelation chapter 13, verse 5, which says, And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. So the people of God, the people of God must take care of what we hear and embrace. We do not buy the lies. We don't need to be led astray by clever myths and things of this age, as Second Peter 1, verse 16 says. But believers need to hold fast to the gospel of grace. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father above is looking down in love, be careful what you hear. These four beasts, these kingdoms, have taken place. As we've seen throughout Daniel 7, this is a model for us on how to live in the world of chaos. We are insufficient. The world is insufficient. But we don't give out insufficient band-aids. We know the heart needs to be radically changed and transformed. And we're going to feel that, that tension on this side of eternity. We live in a fallen world. And we, as God's people, we are, we are longing for the new heavens and new earth. But there should not be such a strong sense of unknown or unknowingness in Christ's kingdom. Our security and assurance is in Him. Our boldness to live in this world comes from Him. And we will meet Him by our death or His coming. And we know all things, all things give an account to Him. He is the Lord of all. And so in this passage, these four beasts, they have arisen from the sea under the providence of God. They rise and they fall by the Lord's sovereign hand. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, they all had their day of rule. But it was under the hand of the Lord. He brought them all low. It is God. It is God who has dominion and authority. And around us, we live in a world 
that does not need our commentary on everything under the sun. What the world needs and kingdoms need is Christians that preach Christ, knowing that Jesus and only Jesus can change the hearts of rebels and sinners. Let's not be a people who say we hold fast to the gospel and do not share the gospel. We live in a broken and fallen world. And if we tell people that it is time that heals wounds or do things on your abilities, you'll make it, we're lying to people. Only the gospel of Jesus heals all wounds. Only the gospel of Christ can change the hearts of rebels to God and make them a servant to God. Only God, through His gospel, can take tragedies in this life and turn them to testimonies of His grace. So, beloved, we preach Christ. Our broken world doesn't need more self-help books. We don't give the sugar. We give the substance that our souls need. Our world around us needs to hear the gospel. Spurgeon said, If sinners be damned, at least them leap to hell over our dead bodies. Let's preach Christ among kingdoms and nations that will rise and fall. Beloved, we only get one life. And it will soon pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, may your gospel continue to shape your people for your glory and their good. Lord, we are thankful for our King, the perfect spotless Lamb who came and rescued us from sin and death. Lord, we live in a world that is broken and fallen. But we know Jesus is the only cure. Hearts need to be radically transformed by the good news. So Lord, as we live among nations and kingdoms that will rise and fall, strengthen us. Strengthen us in Christ. Give us boldness in Christ. Give us urgency in Christ. So we take this gospel to the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.